0: if you would, this morning, as the offering plate is going around, if you would turn to Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, and we'll start in verse 1. In Exodus 20, verse 1, if you would, read along with me, it says this, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out the house of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray. Dear my Father, dear Lord our God, you are our God. You are the Lord. God, I pray that we understand that, that when we approach this text, Lord, knowing that you spoke, and not just in these 17 verses, Lord, but you have spoken in your word. That there's an authority that comes with that. There's a responsibility on us as humans, as creation, to listen to the creator who has spoke. God, I pray that we understand that. And I pray as Christians, we celebrate that, knowing that we have a foundation to ethics, to morality, to right and wrong, to the word ought. That we ought to live a certain way, that we ought to do certain things. God, I thank you for giving us a foundation, Lord. I thank you for speaking. Be with us right now, Lord, as we look at your words, as we try to understand why we are ought to do certain things, Lord. And I pray that you help us think deeply about this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen. Today, we're continuing our sermon series, not just through the book of Exodus, but through the Ten Commandments themselves. And today, I really want to talk about ethics, seeing how the law and the Ten Commandments directly deals with ethics and morality. I want to answer a philosophical question from our text this morning, Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. And here's the question. Where does ought come from? Where does the idea, where does the word, where does the meaning behind ought come from? When you say you ought, when you tell your children or you tell a coworker, or you tell a friend you ought or ought not to do something, what gives meaning to that word ought? How can we say ought? And it's a very important question. Let me just give you an example how it's an important question and really relevant today right now in our historical context in our cultural moment we I pray all churches, but I will say we, you know we universal the church We are saying right now in this cultural moment that you ought not To murder a child within the womb right this is a important discussion that we're having with culture right now, obviously. Where do we—this is a question I want to ask this morning—where do we, the church, get the authority to say something like that? Where do we get the reason to make such a claim? And, of course, the simple answer, and I'm sure most of you are thinking this right now, is God. But I want to examine this and and, and take us a little deeper this morning— in that answer, so I have three points in the sermon this morning. God is, it's important, God is the authority behind the word ought. It's the first point. God is God is the reason behind the word ought. And finally, God is the reality, the reality behind the word ought. God is the authority behind the word ought. That's the first point this morning. So let's look at this. In Exodus 20, verses 2 through 17, who is speaking? God is. God is speaking. I want you to just stop and think about that for a second. I know we've been talking about this for weeks now, but who is speaking? (laughs) the triune God of the universe, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing. The God who spoke reality into existence from the smallest atom to the largest galaxy, from the smallest bug to the largest animal, and all the varieties in between, plants, sea creatures, birds, this God that made man out of dust, made it, a woman out of a rib made the heavenly beings the awesome angels God created them this God the one and only the terrifying and dangerous God on Mount Sinai is speaking and what does he say verse 2 I am the Lord I am the Lord Now, there's a lot to this statement, and we've been talking about this statement for a couple weeks now, but there's one thing that's very clear to anyone that reads this statement. God's words come with authority because he is God. Let me just read to you from Al Mohler, uh, from his book, Words from the Fire. He says this, If God has spoken, let me just stop there. It's what we believe as Christians, right? That God has spoken. If God has spoken, we must obey. This is not a word submitted for our consideration. The living God allows us to hear the voice of God from the fire and survive. It is because he has demands to make of us the Creator speaks to His creation. And in giving us the Torah and the entire body of the law and statutes and command, there is a requirement of obedience. He is saying to the Israelites, look, it's about obedience. I'm not giving you this information. I'm not, I'm not letting you hear my voice for your intellectual stimulation. It's not about, uh, it's not so that you will have a epistemological advantage over the pagan people around you. I am allowing you to hear my voice so that you may hear and obey. God has spoken. And there is an authority that comes with it. An authority that comes with God's word because simply he is God and he has spoken. Therefore, there's an authority behind the Ten Commandments. It's so important. It's so important. When we tell someone you ought or you ought not to do something, again, for example, you ought not to murder, that's the sixth commandment, we Christians can justify using the word ought because we are appealing to an authority that is above us. We're appealing to God's authority, not our own. In a biblical worldview, there is an authority behind the Ten Commandments that we can base our life off of, that we can make sense of ethics or morality with. And we see it very clearly in verses 1 and 2. It it says this, verse 1, And God spoke. God spoke he spoke all these words, these words are the law, and particularly the Ten Commandments in the context of where we're at, he spoke these ten words, these ten commandments, saying, I am the Lord. That's authority. He has rights over his creation as creator, right? Because he created it, he owns it. Creation belongs to him. This is extremely important. When someone says to you, right, as a Christian, especially if it's a non-Christian, if someone says to you, you shouldn't, or you should, and let me just say this, should implies ought. Right? You shouldn't or should do something like, you should love, or you shouldn't hate, or you should be tolerant. If you are a Christian and they are not a Christian, you should ask them, by what standard should I? Or, by what authority should I? What authority are you appealing to when you say you should or you ought to? If there is no God, then there is no authority that transcends mankind. And if there is no authority that transcends mankind, then man, individually or collectively, then man becomes the highest authority. And if there is no authority above man, then there is no authority to appeal to to say you should or shouldn't. Without God, the best we can say to one another is, I prefer. I prefer you not murder. I prefer you not steal. I prefer you not rape. This is one reason why God is foundational to ethics and morality. And this is why I said last week, worship of God comes first, with, first within the Ten Commandments. And the first four commandments has to deal with who God is, worshiping Him, putting Him first. It's only because of his authority we can say, you ought not murder. You ought not commit adultery. You ought not steal. You ought not lie. You ought not covet. Why ought not we do these things? Because God is and he has spoken. So if you would, Look at Exodus 20 again. Exodus 20. First point this morning is simply God is. God is the authority behind the word ought. Verse 2 again, it says, I am. God is, right? I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. It's capital, capital L O R D if you're new. That's just God's covenantal name. It's his personal name, Yahweh. I am Yahweh. This brings me to the second point this morning. God's not only the authority, but God is the reason behind the word ought. He's the reason behind the word ought. Again, without starting with God, there is no substance. You have no substance. You have no ought. You have no reason to love others. It's not just because God has authority over us, obey or else, in other words. It's not just that. He's also the foundational truth, the ontological reason behind why one ought to obey the commandments. Again, look at Exodus 20, verse 1. Look what what God tells us in in 20. Look at verse 2. It says this. This is God speaking. This is the first words he says. He says this. I am the Lord. Again, that's authority. Right? But look what else he says. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is not only authoritative, giving meaning to the word ought, This is so important. Listen. God is also good. He's good. Meaning, he is trustworthy. We have a reason why we should obey, because God is good. He saved Israel. For us Christians, he saved us. And this is why... The Ten Commandments, again, starts with worship of God. The first four commandments having to do with our worship of God, our vertical relationship. And through that vertical relationship, our relationship with God, it flows into a horizontal relationship, our relationship with others. Right? The last six commandments, they are organized this way because without God, man has no reason to not murder. Not commit adultery. Not steal. Not bear false witness. Not covet. In other words, the doctrine and theology of God, theology is a fancy word, theos means God, ology, study of the, the study of God gives us the reason behind morality and ethics. This is so important. We as Christians need to understand this. We have a foundation to stand on when we say ought. And the Bible makes this clear. Turn to Ephesians 4, verse 1. I know we've gone over this passage a ton, but I just briefly want to go to it one more time. We know this. You can split Ephesians in half, the first half, chapters 1 through 3. It's all doctrine. It's all theology. It's all all this study of God and our relationship with him. It's all what is. It's all facts. You get to chapters 4 through 6, which is the second half of the book of Ephesians, And it's all morality, it's all ethics, it's all practical living, what we should do because of the facts, because of the theology, because of the doctrine. And right in the middle, what splits these two sections up is the word, therefore. Again, Ephesians 4, 1 says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a matter worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Now, again, we've spent a ton of time in this verse. So let me show you another place where this happens. Right, where Paul splits the doctrine, the first half, with the second half, the practical living section, and he splits it by one word, the same word. Therefore, if you would now turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to use the NASB. If you want to look on the screen, it should be up there. Because unfortunately, the ESV translates the same word. should be translated, therefore, differently. The NSV gets this one verse right on. The same exact word that we see in Ephesians 4 verse 1, we see in Colossians 3 verse 1, and it is, therefore. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, that's just Paul reiterating what he's already said in chapters 1 and 2, four chapters long, Colossians, the first half, chapters 1 and 2. If you have been raised up with Christ, Keep seeking things above. That's the command. That's the second half of a fe- era, Colossians 3 through 4. He, he tells us what we need to be seeking over and over and over again seeking the things above. In other words, since, since you have been raised up with Christ, chapters 1 and 2, which shows us God's grace, God's goodness, God's love, therefore, because of that, therefore, keep seeking the things above. It's the command. Colossians, just like Ephesians, chapters one and two is the theology, theology of salvation, theology of grace, theology of what God has done, right The theology of being raised up with Christ. Then chapters three through four is how we should live in light of this theology, in light of God's goodness and grace is super important. It's the theology study of God, the doctrine, it's the theology that gives us the reason why we should obey God's commands. Let me show you another place where we see this. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This one is heavy on one side. And you know, I'll show you what I mean by that. If you look at verse 1, Romans 12, verse 1, again, the NASB, I like how it translates this verse. It starts with the word, therefore. Therefore. What is that word? What is therefore pointing back to? Well, all of Romans up to this point. That means chapters 1 through 11, right? Because of chapters 1 through 11, therefore, Paul is saying, Right? In other words, Paul is saying, because of all I have written already, because of all this deep theology, if you understand the book of Romans, if you read through the book of Romans or study through the book of Romans, you want some deep theology, look at chapters 1 through 11. Because of this deep theology of God's grace in chapters 1 through 11, therefore. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, because of all this theology, chapters 1 through 11, live this way, obey God's commands. Chapters 12 through 16. Think about that. Paul gets, he's thinking he gets one letter to the the church at Romans. And he doesn't fill that letter with a bunch of commands. And he spends most of his time in theology. Theology of God's grace, who we are, who God is, what God has done for us, one through 11. And then he spends the minority of the time saying, therefore do this. As I've said many times, I hope this is just echoing in our heads. The word, therefore, is extremely important. (laughs) Super, super, super important. And here's why. God doesn't give arbitrary commands. His laws are always grounded in theological truth. Let me give you an example of what I mean by that laws or or a command grounded in truth, right? Because this is true for us, especially as parents, right? As a parent, you tell your child, don't touch the stove. Why? Are you just a killjoy? (laughs) No, because there's an ontological reason, a reality, a truth behind this command. Stove is hot. Let me put it into a sentence using my favorite word. The stove is hot, therefore, don't touch it. The reality is the hot stove, it's the truth. The command is don't touch it. Let me put it into a sentence again and using another one of my favorite words. The stove is hot, therefore, you ought not touch it. Listen, this simple illustration is Colossians 3, one. You have been raised up with Christ. That's the reality. That's chapters 1 and 2. Therefore, that's like the stove is hot. It's the truth. Therefore, keep seeking the things above. That's the command. That's the ought. Right? Like, don't touch the stove. This is Ephesians 4. God is gracious and good. That's chapters 1 through 3. That's like the stove is hot. It's a reality. It's a truth. Right? God is good and gracious. He's been gracious to us that are saved. Therefore, walk in a matter worthy of the calling which you've been called. That's the command that comes from the truth, from the theology. Or Romans 12. You have been saved by grace, which is really clear in chapters 1 through 11. Right? That's the truth. That's the reality. That's the substance. It's like the hot stove. Therefore, I urge you, brother. Let me just stop there. What's that? I urge you, brother. I can rephrase that and say it this way. You ought, brother. You ought, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a, a living and holy sacrifice susceptible to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's the command. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't be worldly, but be transformed. Renew your mind, take thoughts captive. Why do I labor this point? Well, just like the first point, secular society, when I say secular society, that society that denies that there's a God, secular society doesn't have a therefore. They don't have a therefore. They want to give commands, but they have no truth grounding the commands in. There's no reason. Because secular society has rejected the foundation to ethics. God. By rejecting God, secular society has lost not just the authority, but also the reason why we say ought. You ought to live a particular way. Secular society really only has opinions. I mean, you hear it when people talk. Well, I believe, I think, That may be wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. It's my opinion, feelings, subjective beliefs, preferences. It's why we live in an age of moral relativity. It's relative to the individual because there's no authority. There's no reason that transcends the individual man. You can only say in a secular society, I prefer. I prefer you, not murder. Murder. You not rape. But here's what we need to realize as Christians. We Christians have a reason behind our ethics. Right? God is God, God is authoritative. God has spoken. And listen, this is so important. God is good. He is good, meaning He is trustworthy. Meaning, in faith, we can obey him, trusting him, believing in him. We ought to obey him in faith because he is good. And that's what he's saying in verse 2. Look at verse 2. I am the Lord. That's authority. Very clear. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Right? That's God's goodness. That's God's grace, his salvation. It's what we see in the first part of Colossians, the first part of Ephesians, the first heart of Romans. Therefore, obey these Ten Commandments. Listen, we as Christians have a therefore. So if you would, again, look at Ephes- or Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Let me just walk through these. Right, again, the first point, God is the authority. Again, God is God is the authority behind the word ought. When we say ought as Christians, God is the authority that we are appealing to, right? And we see this in verse 2. I am the Lord, right? I am the Lord. That's authority. We ought to listen to him because he is God. The second point this morning is God is the reason behind the word ought. Again, verse 2, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. In other words, we ought to listen to him because God is good. He's trustworthy. You should listen to him out of faith. He's his loving father. You may not understand why we shouldn't touch the stove as a two-year-old. But you should trust your dad that he loves you and he's giving you that command because there's a reason, a reality behind the command. This brings me to my third and final point this morning. God is the reality behind the word ought. God is the reality behind the word ought. Again, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Verse 3, you shall have no other gods for me. The Ten Commandments starts with God. In fact, the first commandment lays the foundation to all Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. It's, it's just like, by the way, metaphysics. Right? What is reality? God is the starting point to all reality. Genesis 1-1, what does it say? In the beginning, God. <laughs> He's the starting point. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's the prime reality. He's the starting point to metaphysics. He's also the starting point to to epistemology, to knowledge. What does Proverbs 1, 7 say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. In fact, if you get rid of God, you lose knowledge. This is true for ethics, too, the law. The starting point is God. Verse 2, I am the Lord... Your God. Let me just stop there. This is the Ten Commandments. God is speaking, He's giving you the law, and the first thing He says is not a command, it's a statement. Right? What is it? It's a statement. It's a statement of who God is, it's a statement about an ontological reality. Right? I am, that is a being verb. It's a being verb. I am. It's a statement about being. It's it's what God is. I am. And what is he? I am Yahweh. It's his name. Again, capital L-O-R-D. Yahweh is his name. And we have learned through the book of Exodus that God's name reflects God's character. It represents who God is. I am Yahweh. That's an ontological statement. It's a fancy word. Ontology is a study of reality. It's a statement about reality. It's a statement about being and the character of God. And this statement flows right into the Ten Commandments. Verse 3, you shall know the God's before me. In other words, God is the ontological reason, the reality, the foundational truth behind the commandments. Let me show you what I mean because it's pretty simple. Let me ask this question and answer it like a two-year-old would answer it. Why shouldn't we worship any other god? Pretty sure if I asked my three-year-old, they'd give the right answer. Very simple. There are no other gods. (laughs) Right? I mean, think about it. We shouldn't worship other gods because there is no such thing as other gods. You know what that is? A reality. There is only one true God, Yahweh, Yahweh, So let me just rephrase this using my favorite word, therefore. You could restate the first commandment like this. There is only one God, reality. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before him. Or let me rephrase it again using my second favorite word. There is only one God. Therefore, you ought not to have any other gods before him. The reality is there is one God, therefore the command, you shall have no other gods before him. Listen, God doesn't give arbitrary laws. He doesn't give arbitrary laws. Every single command within the Ten Commandments has an ontological reason behind it, supporting it. Giving meaning to the command, a reality, and that reality is God. Again, I am Yahweh, such a significant phrase that starts the whole law. Let me just give you some more examples. The sixth commandment don't murder, why? You know, we got rid of God and we started questioning this commandment. Hitler did. We're just animals. What's the reality behind not to murder? You want to know why there's 60 million babies dead in the womb? Because we got rid of the reality behind do not murder. And that will keep going, by the way. They're already talking about infants. You want to talk about the elderly. What is the reality behind thou shall not murder? this. Man is made in the image of God. It's the reality. The image of God is the ontological truth. Again, the reality. Okay, so let me rephrase it. Man is made in the image of God, starting from conception till death. Man is made in the image of God. That's the reality. Therefore, you ought not murder him. Command. Command. We have substance to the sixth commandment. Let me give you another example. Ninth commandment. Do not bear false witness. Why? Because God is truth. Because God is truth. That's the ontological reason, the reality behind the command. God's character is the truth. Because God is truth. So let me rephrase it. God is truth. That's the reality. It's like the hot stove. God is truth. Therefore... You ought not bear false witness. Don't lie. It's a command. Let me give you another example. Seventh commandment. Don't commit adultery. Why? Because God is faithful. The ontological truth, the the reason, the reality behind the command, it's part of God's character. It's part of who God is. So let me rephrase it. Because God is faithful, that's the reality, therefore, you ought not be unfaithful. You ought not commit adultery. That's the command. Let me give you one last example, and this just makes it very clear, and it sums up the entire law. It's found in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2. It says this, You shall, shall implies ought, you ought, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. This sums up the entire law. In fact, the command, be holy, just sums up every single portion of the law. Be holy, for I am holy. Holy, the command, be holy, the reality. I am, we see that phrase again, I am holy. I am holy is the ontological reason, the command, the reality, right, behind the command. In fact, it's the reality behind all the commands. You can switch this around once again. I am holy, the truth, the reality. I am holy, therefore, be holy. God and his character is the ontological reason, the reality behind the Ten Commandments that gives meaning, substance, to the Ten Commandments. And that's why God starts the Ten Commandments by saying, being verb, I am Yahweh. Let me just put it this way. God commands what his own nature determines to be good. You hear that? God commands what his very own nature determines to be good. And this truth answers one of the greatest challenges presented to Christianity when it comes to ethics. This challenge in philosophy and ethics is called the Euthyphro problem. I won't get into the history of it, but it dates all the way back before Christ. But it goes like this Does God, you may have heard this before. Does God command a law because that law is good? Meaning, there's some higher law or something higher than God that he looks to to determine if a a, a law is good or not. Does God command a law because that law is good? Or, is a law good because God commands it? Meaning, God's arbitrary, his laws are arbitrary, there's no substance behind what he commands. People ask this because they think they get Christians in a a horn of a dilemma, right? If you answer one way, you're wrong. If you answer the other way, you're wrong. Well, how would you answer that? Does God command a law because that law is good? Or is a law good because God commanded it? You know what the answer is? Yes. (laughs) Both. Both. And the Christian God uniquely answers this question. So you just can't put any God there. Right? It's the God of Scripture. It's the God that that said, I am Yahweh before he gave the Ten Commandments. Why? Because the first question, does God command a law because the law is good? The answer is yes. Why? Because God commands what his own nature determines to be good. There's substance behind the laws he commands, and that's God's very own nature. It's not outside of God. It is God. Ontological reality behind the command. The second question is a law good because God commanded it? Well, yes. Because, again, God is God, God is authoritative, and God is good. Therefore, I would claim Christianity is the only worldview. I mean, it, not just you can pick a God, pick a religion, it's the only worldview. That can make sense of the word ought. If anyone says you ought to do something or you ought not to do something, which right now in our culture everyone is saying you ought to do something or you ought not to do something. The only way they can say that is by borrowing from the Christian worldview. They know there's a God, yet they deny that there's a God. We had a horrible mass shooting that happened this week. You know why it's horrible? You know why it's tragic? Because it's 21 people made in the image of God, not animals. I killed a bunch of ants the other day. No one's crying out about that. 21 people in the image of God. You ought not murder people made in the image of God. We are the only ones that can say that with meaning. And that's because God is authoritative. God is the authority behind the word ought. I am Yahweh. It's because God is the reason behind the word ought. I am Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God is good. He loves you. He doesn't say, do not do this because He's arbitrary, it's for your good. And he's the ontological reality behind the word ot. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods. God. God, Lord, you are God. You have the authority to tell us what to do and what not to do. We are accountable to you. Your authority transcends mankind. It transcends culture. It transcends society. It transcends government. Therefore, we can call out society. We can call out government. We can call out culture where they ought not to do something. God, you're also good. In fact, you call us to obey you out of faith. Out of faith. Faith in what? Faith in you. Faith in your character. Faith in who you are. Faith that you're good, just like a a son would obey a father, knowing that father loves him. Help us to understand you. Help us to understand those deep theological portions of Scripture, Romans 1 through 11, Ephesians 1 through 3, Colossians 1 and 2, Lord, which which displays and where Paul lays out your goodness, your grace. That we can look at that and see the reason why we should obey you, Lord. God, please help us understand also, Lord, that there's a reality behind the commands you give us, and that reality is you. That we were made in the image of God, that we are called to image you, and you have given us commands that display your character. Help us to to display that character by obeying you, Lord, that we would not lie, that we would not bear false testimony, that we wouldn't murder, that we wouldn't commit adultery, that we would not steal out of faith of your goodness, but also to display your goodness to a lost world. God, be with us as a church. Help us to be a light, shining, Lord, in a dark place. Son's name, amen.